Appreciate it. If you'd go with me and take your Bibles back to Psalm chapter 119. Psalm chapter 119. Now, I wrote, we're going to be talking a little bit about peace this morning. I wrote the back of the bulletin, and some of you have come up to me and said, Oh, Pastor Taylor, you got to be so tired. I didn't write it because I'm tired, all right? I wrote it to share with you that we all live hectic lives. Um, the truth is, I can look at my schedule, and some of you probably run even more than I do. I mean, in all of the things that I list down there, I mean, Susanna's graduating from Dyersburg in, uh, let's see, two weeks. Then we have to make that horrible trip down to Pensacola, Florida for a couple of days from Adeline's graduation. You know, I mean, beaches are just absolutely miserable, uh, you know, and, and then back for Aiden's graduation and camp and all that kind of stuff going on. But can I tell you this? We, as American culture... We're just frantic all the time. We're running from one thing to another, to another, to another. In fact, many of you are probably sitting here right now, and your brain can't, we, we're so focused. I, one of my favorite parts of preaching, okay, and this is just secret between me and you, so don't look at anybody, okay? Everybody keep your eyes right here, all right? One of my favorite parts of preaching, because I've had teenagers for so long, is that I, I like connecting with people. I like to watch your reactions. I mean, you tell me, your eyeballs tell me, man, you are the most boring preacher ever, or hey, that's actually kind of interesting today, all right? And the, my favorite, you know, is when I'm so boring that your head's just kind of like this right here, you know? <laughs> or there's those who their eyeballs, are just, they're just doing everything they can, and it's just like this, right? And I watch the whole service, and it's just like... You know, and they're trying to, trying to stay awake, you know. I've been there, all right? I understand. We are so geared to movement and to action and headphones on and televisions going and radios on and podcasts and do this and do that. And when I get done with this, I've got 14 minutes to get to the next place and do that. And we are so geared to be moving that the moment our bodies sit down, our brain thinks, I must be in bed because that's the only time I ever stop, all right? And besides, as we mentioned, we've got nice soft pews and everything like that to sit with, uh, to sit in. And so just let, I'll let you know, if any of you have trouble staying awake this morning, it's not your fault, it's the preacher's fault, okay? So just blame him and you go ahead and have a nice nap, all right? And uh, we'll do that. But, but we do. We, are, we do not live peaceful lives, we live frantic. We think that the more we jam into them, that we're more successful. And can I tell you that that is not always true? In fact, the Bible tells us, be still and know that I am God. We get so busy all the time that I don't have time for God. This morning, I'd like you to look with me at this idea of looking for peace. Looking for peace is not like what happened two weeks ago when we dismissed from church and we let the children loose on the playground in the back and they were just running. I mean, it's, it's like, I've got to get that Easter egg because if I don't, somebody else is going to get it. Um, the Bible is very clear that all of us can have peace. You don't have to beat anybody else out for it. And it's not found in your job. It's not found in finances in the bank. It's not found in Easter eggs in the backyard. It's found in the relationship that you will have with your God and found in this book that we read from just a few moments ago. And so this morning, I hope that in the midst of this very, very busy world, 
that you can just kind of put pause. I'm not going to ask you to stop your life, but would you push pause for the next 30 minutes or so and allow God to work in your heart because his word gives peace. And so just sit back, enjoy God's word this morning because whether you're anxious or peaceful, we're going to get out about the exact same time, all right? And so I would enjoy that you, and you'll enjoy it more if you'll just sit back and allow God to work in your heart. Let's pray and we'll spend some time in his word. Father, I'm so grateful for the peace that you do offer to us. We look around us and there's so much busyness. We're always trying to pack things in that oftentimes I forget that I'm going to have to settle down and I've just got to sit there and I need to meditate on your word and I need to spend time in my relationship with you. Lord, that will bring peace to my mind, peace to my soul. I ask that each of us, anyone in here this morning that is dealing with difficult circumstances in their life, that these verses will be a reminder to them that you don't want us to be anxious. You tell us, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But we're supposed to give thanks to you for your goodness in our life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The setting of the writing of Psalm 119 is honestly very similar to our day. It was during a time of rampant religious skepticism. It was a time of apathy, a time of fickleness. I mean, my goodness, are we fickle or not? I mean, we're, we're totally uh, involved in something, and two days later, it's not even on our minds anymore. We've, uh, all we've got to do is, with the political situation is whatever the bad news is, just bring something else to the forefront, and we'll all forget about that bad news, and we'll focus on the next bad news. We are fickle. The nation had become, the nation of Israel had become very profane, anti-God, against God, just like ours. Look with me in Psalm 119, not one of our verses in our text, but jump down to verse number 126. And the psalmist says, It's time for thee, Lord, to work, and catch this, for they have made void or empty thy law. Have we not done the same thing in American culture today? We've taken God's word and we have taken it and we've tried to twist it totally around. We've tried to take the Ten Commandments. We've tried to make God's word say things that it does not say. We have made it void and empty. Look in verse number 95. Verse number 95. The wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I will consider thy testimonies. As a Christian, do you ever feel that if you actually act like a Christian while you're out in culture, that there's somebody just waiting to get after you and point out the things that you're doing wrong. I can remember as a parent uh, with children, and uh, my children are absolutely perfect, especially the one sitting in here this morning, all right? And so I'll make fun of the others, no. But one of, one of our kids, the first time, not the first time, but they were probably, I'm going to say four or five years old, and had started to figure out this idea that mom and dad didn't like to get after them in public. You know, now at home, it, I mean, everything could break loose, okay? Life could almost end. You know, it was, it was that, I brought you in this world, I'm going to take you out, you know? I mean, it was that, that good philosophy. But they realized that uh, out in public, uh, dad was just a little bit more calm. You know, I, was, I didn't want anybody to come take my kids away. And so we got into a store one time, and I don't remember what it was, but this child got into their mind that dad's not going to do anything. 
And so, I mean, it was just horrendous. I mean, grabbing stuff off shelves, shelves, you know, trying to throw it in the cart. I'd say, put it, put it back. And no, I'm not going to do it. I mean, it was just outright absolute rebellion. And uh, it was almost with glee because they just knew I wasn't going to do anything. And then after about the fourth time something like that happened, I said, hey, guess what? We're going to go out to the car. And I picked him up by the cart, set him on the ground and grabbed the hand. And we started walking out that car, out that. And everything was fine, you know, no big deal. We're walking out. The moment we hit those doors of the store, though, and the doors slid open and we walked outside, it was bloody murder because they realized that dad was serious about this. And we had a minivan at the time. I remember pulling up, going back out to that minivan and cranking the front uh, seats as far forward as they could, man, because that child was going to get some discipline at that point. And, you know, in our lives, we, you know, in the whole time that I was administering discipline in a proper biblical way, the Bible says that we are to uh, attack, uh, put the board of uh, education to the seat of, uh, of discontent, you know. And so uh, I did just a little bit of that that morning. But, you know, I had to worry about what was going on. Were people watching me? And I did not lose my temper when I did it. I did not hurt my child other than their spirit just a little bit and their backside that much. But I had to worry about what they're going to think. And you and I have to worry as we go about our daily business. If I stand for Christ, what are the people around me going to think? Are they going to come down on me? Are they going to condemn me? Am I going to get a knock on my door from, a, from a, an authority figure that says, hey, you did this right here? And I mean, there's, there's uh, uh, cameras everywhere people see. And it's just like what was written, Psalm 195. The wicked have waited for me to destroy me. That's the culture that we live in. And yet the psalmist is able to say in the middle of that culture, you know what? I can find peace. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Middle of an unstable society, things changing very quickly. Attention spans were short, jumping from one fad to another. Apathy, indifference, fickleness, as we've already mentioned. And God just was not a priority in that society. Is God a priority in our society today? As you look out and about, is God a priority? Let's take it a step further. As a Christian, is God a priority in my life? You know, it used to be that every time the doors to the church were open, people would flood in. But you know what? My mind, and I put myself in the guilty. Sometimes I get home on Sunday afternoon and I think, oh, wouldn't it be nice not to have church tonight, just to, just to relax for a little bit, not to have to go back? I always am joyful that I make the time to come back. I enjoy being with you, God's people. But that's the society that we live in. And the truth is we take part in it. I could, I could relax on Saturday, but I'm trying to fit so many things in. You know, I got all these things to do. I can't relax on, on Saturday. And so Sunday's got to be the day to relax. And the best way to do that is just I'll skip church once. It runs across my mind, and I'm guessing that it probably has run across your mind, whether your body's here or not. I know there's been times where I've come to church, and my body was there, but my mind was, and it was on something else. God's not a priority. 
Unfortunately, the truth is the Lord is a stranger even to many believers. Too many of us rarely pray. We rarely read God's word. Many people are looking for a church that will entertain them instead of one that will exhort and encourage them to serve Christ. I mean, after all, a nice pep talk's a whole lot nicer than somebody stepping on your toes and pointing out what you do wrong. We went to a youth rally last night and took the teenagers down there and the kids thinking, we've got two, uh, two sermons, you know, in the course of three hours, what are we going to do? I raised my hand, two sermons in three hours, sometimes is an awful lot, all right? But as God worked in my heart, I realized, you know what? I needed this. I needed to hear his word from two different preachers, from two different passages. What a great God we serve. He's willing to give that peace to us, but we've got to slow down long enough to wait for him. The psalmist was confronted by all of the hostility around him, by the busyness of his schedule, and he had to make a decision. And you and I have to make that same decision. When our life is busy, when we've got things going on and I have choices to make and I've raised four kids, I understand there's all the pressure to be involved in all kinds of things. Now that my kids are all adults and they're on their own schedule, you know, and I, we're trying, Chris and I are just trying to get them back every once in a while. You know, hey, are you going to be here for, for dinner tonight? You know, we'll change our schedule so that they can be there for supper. And we've got so many things going on and her, her work schedule and my work schedule and church schedule and everything going on. And so I have to make a choice. In all of that, do I grip this book or do I let it just start to slide through my fingers and say, you know what, I'm just going to give up just a little bit because i got so much else going on. But the Bible tells us here in Psalm 119 that when confronted with that decision, the psalmist chose that he was going to tighten his grip on the word of God like a bulldog clamping on a bone would be. And he was not going to let it go. One of the guys that I worked with back when I was in high school at the glass shop, he, found, he had a stray dog just appear at his door. And uh, she was a beautiful, beautiful pit bull. I mean, she was, a, she was a tan color. He'd bring her into work every once in a while. And I mean, she was just bound with muscles, but she was just a, I mean, just a sweet little puppy dog. And she'd come in, he'd take her everywhere. He'd go, he'd keep her in the van, you know, roll the windows. That was Michigan, it wasn't as hot as it is down here. But he'd keep her in the work van while he'd be doing jobs and stuff like that. And I mean, he, this was a, I mean, he was a grease monkey mechanic guy. I mean, he was, he was a rough guy, and yet he had a soft spot in his heart for this stray dog that he came. And he came into work one Monday morning, and uh, he said, I got to tell you what happened this past weekend. He said, we went down to the, to the park, and there were a couple of the dogs there. And he said, and uh, he called out his dog's name. I don't even remember what her name was. He said, but I threw a Frisbee. He said, and she chased after the Frisbee, and another dog decided it was going to go after it as well. He said, and that other dog got that Frisbee, and she took a bite out of that dog and clamped down on his, right by his neck on his shoulder. And... The guy that I worked with, I mean, he was about six foot two. I mean, just a stout guy. And he said, you know, it was a purebred whatever it was. He said, and here I've got this stray dog that I love with all my heart. But he said, I lay down and he said, I balled up my fist and I whacked her as hard as I could right across the face. And she just looked at me and bit down even harder. He said, and I smacked her about three times and she would not tighten no matter, or would not let loose no matter. He said, I'm thinking I'm going to have to kill this dog. 
He said, and I got up and I was going back to my work van to pull a hammer and because I thought I was going to have to kill her to get her away from this other dog. But thankfully, when I got up, she followed me and she went to the work van with him. Can I tell you this? That ought to be the grip that we have on the word of God. That nothing can cause it, us to give it up. Not the pressure from the people around us. We like, to, we like to pawn peer pressure off on teenagers. I'm not a teenager anymore, and there's a lot of peer pressure in my life. People want to see what's going on. I feel there's a pressure to act a certain way, to be involved in certain things, even if I don't want to do them sometimes. Peer pressure is for all of us. But I have to choose, am I going to hold on to the Word of God or am I going to give, give in to everything else that is going on in my life? I'd like you to look with me first at these verses that we've got. Psalm 119, 153, down through 176. And we're going to pick out some things through them. First of all, I want you to see the resistance that the psalmist faced and his request for help. We are, we're going to know, we're going to see constant headaches that he has to deal with, okay? Those who gave him a hard time were like jagged splinters that created infection and deep pain. Have you ever been working on a rose bush? And as you're working on that rose bush, you're being very careful, but I'm an idiot. And so I don't put gloves on. I say, oh, I'm, I, there's no way I'm going to get picked by this rose bush. And so I'm going to uh, put my fingers right in it and I'm going to clip it off. And as I do, you throw it down. But about three hours later, you're like, man, what is wrong with my finger? And as you start to scrape across it, every time you touch a certain spot, I mean, it just like feels like something's to the bone. And it's one of those rose thorns has gotten down in there. And a lot of times they're so small that they'll get down far enough you can't even see them. And it's just that constant irritation. And you make a choice. Either I'm going to go find a needle, you know, and just chop my finger and pull everything, or else I'm going to leave it there and it's just going to hurt. And it's going to be fine until I put my hand out. And it's like, oh man, what is up with that? And that's exactly what the psalmist is dealing with. The difficulties in his life are just those jagged splinters. And then you watch that, and if you don't get that uh, thorn out, you know, within a day or two, you got a little red spot in there, you know, and you're like, well, I got to get it out now, you know. At least now I know where it is. And you start digging with, a, with some tweezers or something, trying to get that out. So the psalmist, he realized that he was facing all of these difficulties, and he called for help. Look down with me. Again, these are all in our passage. Psalm 119, 153. Consider mine affliction. And deliver me. Verse 54 or 154, plead my cause and deliver me. Verse 157, many of my persecutors and mine enemies. Verse 58, I beheld the transgressors and was grieved. Verse 61, princes have persecuted me without a cause. Verse 69, let my cry come near before thee. Verse 70, let my supplication come before thee. Deliver me according to thy word. Verse 73, let thine hand help me. You and I, as we live out every day, can I just share this with you? It's a t difficult task if you try to face it yourself. But if you will lean on your God, you will uh, give the idea over to him, he will help relieve those issues. I long for the days when I was a kid. Because when I was a kid, dad was going to deal with whatever it was. I didn't have to worry. You know what? It wasn't until I went to college 
that I started worrying about this idea of having to pay bills. You know, before that, it was just like, if I want ga car, gas in the car, put, I'll have to have a little bit of money. If I don't want to go anywhere, I don't need any money. You know, I didn't have insurance bills, and my parents, I, I mean, my mom and dad always had food in the fridge, you know, and mom was cooked. And then I went off to college. And then you get those wonderful college bills. And your stomach starts to turn, and it starts to tighten, because all of a sudden, you have to deal with it. And it's almost like every time I got off college, and we had a break or something, and I went back home, it's just like the moment you walk through the door, it's like, ah, mom and dad got it covered again. Whatever I want, mom's going to make it for me. It's not going to be like the college cafeteria that it's nasty, you know, and then I have to make the decision, you know, do I want what the college cafeteria or ramen noodles, you know, which one is, the, you know, the, the, the all-American all college food, which one's it going to be? Didn't have to do that. Why? Because I was trusting in my parents. I knew they were going to take care of me. And when you and I look at the things around us and we try to solve them for ourselves, life's so much more difficult. Then we open up his word and we all we read all of his promises and all that he wants to do for us. And that list of verses back here, notice every one of them. Deliver me, deliver me. Um, uh, uh, princes of persecuting me without a cause. Let my cry come near to thee. Let my supplication come before thee. Let thine hand help me. Every one of those. The psalmist says, God, I can't do what I need to, but hey, I'm going to give it all to you, and I know that you will take it. And then he's able to write right in the middle of that, great peace of they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. I'm not going to have to worry about it. Why? Because my God is in control. And so not only do we see, though, that he faced all of the resistance around him, but we also see that he had a resolve in his heart in these verses. He said, you know what? I'm going to make a decision. I can allow everything around me to drive me away from my God, or I can allow it to drive me closer to my God. And we make that decision Sometimes consciously, but sometimes subconsciously every, every day. We decide, am I going to deal with this or am I going to turn it over to God? Am I going to say, you know what, God, I don't have time for you. I don't have time for your word because I've got to deal with these situations. But he resolved in his heart. He said, I'm going to draw nearer to my God. I'm going to spend time with it. We've got a bunch of verses here again. Psalm 119, back to verse 153. For I do not forget thy law. Psalm 157, or verse 157. Yet do I not decline from thy testimonies. Verse 159. Consider how I love thy precepts. 161. My heart standeth in awe of thy word. 163. Thy law do I love. 164. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteousness judgments in verse 66 lord i have hope for thy salvation and done thy commandments he says lord i'm going back to you verse 167 my soul hath kept thy testimonies and i love them exceedingly verse 168 i've kept thy precepts and thy testimonies 171 my lips shall utter praise when thou hast taught me thy statutes 172 my tongue shall speak of thy word 176 for i do not forget thy commandments he had a resolve and he said, you know what? I'm not going to let all of these circumstances pull me away from my God. I'm going to allow him to take care of my issues. Why did he do that? Because he had a love for God and God had proved himself in the past. God had showed him that he was going to take care of everything no matter what the situation was. 
Back when I was, I guess I was probably in, I was, I was in college. Christy and I had been dating since our senior year, year, our senior year in high school. And she lived about 25 minutes away. We had met at high school. And this was back in the olden days, all right? So all you teenagers back there, you won't be able to relate to this, all right? But every time I left the house, I didn't have a phone on me with Life 360 or, or any of those other things. You know, I could leave, and Mom and Dad had no clue where I was going except for what I told them, all right? But I was back from college. I'd work uh, at a glass shop all day long, get off work, 5.30, 6 o'clock, and then because of my, where my work was, it was halfway between my house and Christy's house, I'd oftentimes just go straight over to her house. And I would always be home by midnight because I had to get up for work the next morning. And so my parents, they, I mean, even though I was in college, they did not have a, I didn't have a quote-unquote curfew, but it was just always understood I was going to be home at midnight. You know, my dad wanted to make sure I wasn't getting in trouble, that I wasn't doing stuff I was supposed to, that I was able to work and make the money that I needed for college and all that kind of stuff. One night, though, Went over to Christy's house, and you know we're just we were over there. She had three younger brothers and sisters. Usually, they thought I was going over to play with them, not to spend time with her. I had to convince her, no, I'm really actually here to see you because I'd spend half my time playing with them, you know, and enjoying that. But we were there, and I was watching my my watch, and it was 11:25, 11:30 at night, and so I told her goodbye and got out to the car, and I took back off towards my house. And I was going to make it. I mean, it was going to be tight whether I was there by midnight. But again, it wasn't any big deal. And I got all the way back to my house. I mean, I was within a mile and a half of my house. And I said, oh, no. And while I'm driving, I'm feeling my back pockets. I'm like, oh, no, I don't have my wallet. And I, picked, I drove a truck for work, you know, picking up glass deliveries and all that kind of stuff. And, so I, and no cell phones or anything. And so I said, I got to get my wallet. I have to have it for work tomorrow because I got to be able to drive the work truck. So I turned back around and, you know, the clock on the dashboard says, you know, uh, it's like 1157. I'm like, well, I'm not going to make it home, but mom and dad will understand. It'll be, it won't be a big deal. And so I turned the car back around, went all the way back to her house. She had, they had a, a lot of basements in Michigan. And so her house was downstairs. And so just the top, about that much of the bottom floor was above ground. And then it, it was like a split, uh, tri-level house. And so her doors down, or her uh, uh, window was, they had just a little tiny window. And so I went over, I knocked on that window, you know, and she woke up. You know, I had no idea what she was thinking. I was hoping her dad wouldn't wake up, you know, and I get in all kinds of trouble. But I knocked on it. I was like, I left my wallet in your house somewhere. I said, I think it's up on this table, you know. She went in and got it. She came out to the door, gave it back to me, put it in my back pocket, and I was like, I got it, head back home. When I got back home, it was pushing one o'clock, and I walked in the house, and there was my dad pacing back and forth. I mean, I could tell he had been doing it for an hour, and when I walked in the door, he looked at me and walked back to his bedroom, and that was it. He never brought it up again. But can I tell you this? In that half a second look that he gave me, I realized that I broke his heart. Looking back, I should have gone all the way home, told him what had happened, gone back and got my wallet. But I didn't. I was invincible. Nothing would happen. 
Can I tell you this? Our God is there to protect us. Just like my dad, I'm sure for that whole hour, I didn't fully understand everything that was going on until I had teenagers. All of the situations that flash through your mind and the, the 498 ways that they're dead somewhere at that moment. And I had a couple more years of college after that. I did not bow up my back. I did not say, hey, I'm college. I can do whatever I want to. Why? Because I knew my dad loved me. And I knew that the lack of communication had broken his heart. And the psalmist here resolves in his heart and said, God, I've got all these things going on outside of my life, but I'm not going to let any of them draw me away from you. I'm going to hold on tighter. And the third point, revival is sought. Look with me in verse 154. Quicken me, make me alive according to thy word. Bible says down in verse number 156, quicken me according to thy judgments. Another word that's used for the commandments that God has here. Verse number 159, quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. What, you, what is unique about this is the fact that this man has a resolve to follow the Lord. From our point of view, it looks like the guy is a great believer in the Lord. He puts most of us to shame, but the truth is he's asking the Lord to quicken or revive him. Folks who want to have a deep walk with God are never satisfied where they are with their Christian life. They're always saying, Lord, draw me closer. Help me to get to know you even more. It's a nominal Christian that just says, ah, I know God good enough. Some of you, I enjoy seeing you through the hallways, walking up and down and saying hello to you, asking how your day is going, finding out some of the events going on in your life. I enjoy that time with you. But the truth is, I'll walk back out the door, and maybe you had a prayer request or something that I wrote down on my phone, and I'll look at it again. But many of you, the truth is, other than a fleeting thought here and there, I don't spend all week thinking about you. But when I came to church this morning... I came in early to finish up uh, the, the PowerPoint slides and everything like that. And when I did, I had one thought on my mind. I've got to get out of here by 8 o'clock so that I can get home and get showered so that I can sit down with my wife and drink a cup of coffee and her drink a cup of tea and us have a few minutes together. It was the focus of my brain. I made a cup of coffee in the office. I, I got to studying all this and working on the PowerPoint and think the Lord was, was just giving me insights into things. And I start pulling all together. I look down at my watch and it's 817. Oh no, I'm not going to make it home by eight o'clock. It's 817. I took my cup of coffee that I made, took a drink. It was cold, yuck, nasty, disgusting. Black coffee cold is okay. Anything times got milk or cream. Oh, dumped it out in the sink, ran out to the car and took off for home. Walked in the door, it was 8.26. I said, hey, babe, if I'm done with my shower and got my suit on by 8.45, can you still make a few minutes so we can sit down and have a cup of coffee? She said, my, my cup of tea is already ready. That's just that, hey, you better hurry up, all right? And so I went out and I pushed the coffee pot, got it started, went in, ran in, grabbed the shower and suit and everything like that and came back. Why did I do that? I was alive. I was stepping lightly. I was running. Why? Because I wanted that time of fellowship with my wife. And the psalmist is saying, Lord, would you make me alive? I don't want to just be a Christian just dead and laying there. I want to be moving for you. Lord, I want to be making every opportunity I have 
to spend time with you. And then I want you to see the fourth thing. The resistance that he faced, the resolve in his heart, the revival that he sought, and then the resource for peace, joy, and strength. Look what the Bible tells us back there in Psalm 119. Look in verse 174. Thy law is my delight. It's not my drudgery. It's not my duty. It's not uh, something that... It's, It's my delight. I love it. I want to be involved in it. I don't just do it to check a box off. I do it because that's what I want. My, drinking coffee with my wife every morning, the, the mornings that we can't, it doesn't happen every day. But I don't think, oh man, I have to drink another stinking cup of coffee and I got to sit in the swing outside or rock in, cha- in the cha- recliner and I got to drink it. I got to. No, I look forward to it. It's my delight. It's what I want to do. I want to spend that time with her. Well, what about you? What about your time with your God? Do you want to spend it or is it your duty? Why are you here at your church this morning? Is it duty or is it delight do you walk through those doors and say you know what i want to be here or are you just hoping that no but that you're are you just here hoping that everybody will think you're a great person you ought to want to be here to enjoy the time worshiping your god psalm 119 verse 160 the word thy word is true from the beginning and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. The psalmist said, I delight in it, and I know it's good forever. It's going to bring me strength. And what's good today, it's going to be good tomorrow, and it's going to be good the next day. I know some of you don't like coffee, but can I tell you this? I've been drinking coffee for a lot of years, and I don't just wake up one morning and say, you know what? I think I've had enough coffee. I'm done with this, all right? No, usually it's I've had a cup of coffee, and then I come to church, and I've got a little Keurig there, and so I'm like, well, I'm here. I might as well make another cup, you know? And then if I go to somebody's house and they say, hey, would you like a cup of coffee? And I, my brain says, you don't need that. And I say, sure, I'd like a cup of coffee, all right? You know, or the same thing with the youth activity. We went to the youth activity last night, and they had Dr. Pepper for us and everything like that. And the teenagers, uh, we had three of the girls went with us, and we got back in the van uh, heading back to the church. And somebody said, Pastor Taylor, do you have uh, any drinks up there? Do you have a, a Coke or anything? I said, no, I don't. But uh, you know what? There's a gas station right up here. If y'all will promise me that you hurry so we make it back on time, I said, we'll buy, I'll buy y'all a, a Coke. You know? And so we get in there. And what do I do? I'm not thirsty at all. But they're all getting a Dr. Pepper and a Coke. And so I grabbed one too. I mean, I just, why? because I enjoy it. And so I had it, and I sipped on it the rest of the way. And Pastor Jacob, as goofy as he was, he didn't even get one. I couldn't believe him, you know, trying to, you know, be on a diet or something. I don't, I don't, I don't understand that, you know. But anyways, I said, hey, you know what? I've got a wonderful dad bod. I don't need to be on any diets. I'm going to drink another cherry coke there. All right. But I enjoyed drinking that, and. Uh, had a good time on the van ride back home with those young ladies last night. And you know what? What's good one day is still good the next day. And it continues to be good. And our God says, I will rejoice, or the psalmist says, I'll rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And so we've got the resource for peace, joy, and strength. Very quickly before we're done this morning, I'd like to point out to you just a couple of things about the promises of God's care, or the promises of peace that God gives to us and how we can have that. First of all, 
Uh, just a couple points real quickly. The promises of God's care and guidance give peace. You see, the psalmist went through over and over again, thy, wall, thy statutes, thy testimonies, thy commandments, thy law, thy word. He uses all these different words, but it's all embedded in God's word. How does God's word give us peace? How does I, do I take that peace, that word of God, and instill it in my life so that Psalm 160, or 119, 165, uh, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. How do I instill that? Well, first of all, the promise that God says that he will care for us, they will give us peace. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Notice that it doesn't say cast some of your care on him because he kind of likes you a little bit, okay? It says cast all your care on him, for he cares for you. Listen, if I can cast all my care on God because he loves me, he know, I know that he's going to do the best for me. Psalm 32, verse 8, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eyes. God doesn't say, hey, you know what? I'm going to give you step one and step 17. The rest of them are yours to figure out. No, God says, I'm going to give it all to you. I promise I will guide you. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. We go verse after verse where the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean on to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct thy paths. Hey, when I've got a path laid out for me, it gives me peace. When you get ready for a trip, you know, olden days we pulled out the old atlas and stuff like that. You know, now we just pull out the old cell phone, type in the address, and trust that Siri or whoever's guiding us, Alexa, is going to get us there, all right? Or Cortana, if you have an Android, or whoever it is that's guiding you there. You know what I found? Sometimes I'll plug into one of the different things and it'll bring me to a dead end. It'll bring me, take me down some country road. I'm like, this cannot be where I'm going. And I'll come up to some gate that's folded over this little cow path, you know, and I'm like, man, I don't know about this. And so I'll close that app up and pull another one that'll try to get me around to the right direction. But the promises of God's care and guidance will give me peace because I know the way that he has for me is good. Second of all, how does this peace affect me? The power of a changed life gives me peace. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, new isn't always great, except when I know that new is the best way. And then if I get something new, it's great. You get a new vehicle, Man, even if it's a new-to-you vehicle, it's usually nicer than your, than your old-to-you vehicle. And so it's got some cool features in there. It's wonderful. It's great. It brings peace. You know what? I, why did you have to get a new car? Well, I wanted something reliable. It was going to get me there. Well, when was the last time your old car broke down? Well, it's been a while, you know, but uh, this one's got to be more reliable. It gives us peace when we have a, something changed. And our changed life that's following God will bring peace to us. Third thing. A picture of the future gives peace. How many of us would say that when I don't know where I'm going, I don't know what the plan is, it brings anxiety to me. I like to have everything laid out in front of me. I like to know where I'm going. I irritate my wife all the time because I ask her this question. What do you got going on tonight? I ask the kids, hey, are y'all going to be here tonight? What's going on? Dad, just leave us alone. I said, I just want to know what's going on. I want to know what you're doing. That way I know what I'm doing, all right? But a picture of the future 
will give me peace. First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Hey, this verse tells me what my future is. Whether I'm dead, whether I'm alive, I'm with him. I know what the end result is going to be. First John 14, 1 and 2, let not your heart be troubled. Ooh, I like that. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I know what the future holds. And the presence and fellowship with the Lord gives peace. Romans 15, 4. For what sort of things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of Scripture might have hope. And that hope will bring peace to our lives. The psalmist reminds us, great peace have they which love thy law. All of these four promises that we just looked at are found in this book. And I'm going to get help for the difficulty. I'm going to build resolve in my heart. I'm going to seek revival and I'm going to find the resources for peace, joy, and strength through spending time in this word. The question becomes, as this world throws so many things at me, am I going to hold tight or am I going to let slip through my hands? We make that choice each and every day. Can I add one more thing? If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've never invited Him into your life to take away your sin and give you, give you a home in heaven, you cannot know real, genuine, God-given peace until you have that relationship with him. Let's all stand, please. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Lord, thank you that you have promised that you would give peace to us. You promised that you would take care of us, but we have to take that step of casting all our care upon you. Lord, we live in the midst of a world that wants to take our focus off of you, our God, that wants to make us so busy that we don't spend time with you. And we're looking everywhere for peace when the truth is we've just got to slow down and build our relationship with you so that you can bestow that peace upon our life. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace, and he wants to share peace with us. Thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Maybe you're going through a time where you don't have much peace in your life. The altar is open. If you know Christ is your personal Savior, I invite you to come bow down at the altar and ask the Lord for peace. You're going to find that in his word as you spend time with him. The Bible says, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. And when somebody is in control, then it gives us peace. If I'm playing on a sports team and I'm not the main player and we're down by a couple points, you know what? Don't worry about it. We've got so-and-so on our team. They're going to take care of it. You've got God who wants to deal with all those issues for you. He wants to help you find peace. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'll make my way down to the front here. If you'll come, I'd love to take the Bible and show you how you can know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior.